Welcome back to Countdown to Destruction. This is episode 9 of our podcast, looking back at The Leftovers. My name is Matt Waters. I am viewing all of this for the very first time. The episodes we are going to be discussing today are as far as I have seen. But I am joined by Ben Phillips, who has seen all of it repeatedly and is giddy as a schoolgirl and must wait about 30 minutes to talk about his favourite episode of the whole show. Ben? Uh, No comment. Okay. Uh, Yeah, how are you, though? I'm good. I'm good. I'm so excited. International Assassin is a thing. A thing we will not be talking about because we must start with a most powerful adversary. November 15th, 20. 15, written by Damon Lindelof and Patrick Somerville. Uh, Patrick Somerville wrote, co-wrote Off Ramp, that lovely depressing episode with uh, <laughs> Laurie and Tommy. Directed by Mimi Leader, who, you know, we've gone through a lot. She hasn't directed anything since the first two episodes of this season, though, so, you know, glad to have her But then back. again, I mean, doing one back, two episodes back-to-back probably takes a lot out of yeah, you. Yeah, it's that Peter Berg thing, yeah. Right, so, here we go. Kevin wakes up alone, with Patty telling him Nora took Lily and has left him. Jill reluctantly fetches bolt cutters, but not before reading a note from Nora that says, Mary and the baby are with me. Don't call. Heavy shit to start this episode. Patty chiming in with, it's going to be a hard day, buddy. Lovely dickish comment to just sort of pile on his misery. I like Jill. Well, I don't know if I like it, but, you know, it's in keeping with her character. She wants to know what happened more than she's willing to let Kevin go. Kind of like she's like, you know, what did you do? What did you do? You know, he fucked up. What did you do? You gotta tell me? No, no. Well, you gotta tell me. And it's gotten to a point where she almost seems fonder of Nora than she is of Kevin, which speaks volumes about what a likable character <laughs> Nora is. And it would be a, quite a thing if she wasn't at number one on the rankings for two weeks in a row, wouldn't it? <laughs> Jill always seems just right on the edge of being having had far too much of Kevin's shit. And, unfortunately, it seems that the last time he opened up and trusted someone with this, they literally left him. So, while I am ordinarily saying, hey, maybe trust these people, maybe share things with your daughter, it has literally just blown up in his face, so I kind of get him not telling her now in this stressful situation. Oh, Kevin. Oh, Kevin. Oh, Kevin. I mean, like, he hasn't got the best relationship with Jill to start with. He doesn't. as we saw last year, and it feels like Jill's, like, her biggest reason for coming back was the fact that Nora treated her like an adult. Yep. Like, and... which is a big part of their relationship, is that Nora treated Jill with respect. Like, she talked to her about the gun. Like, yeah, she hid the gun, but she yeah. still, like, explained what was going on with it and stuff like that. And there's Whereas... a baby, and, and, you know, it's a wholesome family again, which Jill hasn't had in a long time. And also, her mum is far worse. Yeah, well, been saying this. <laughs> I mean, in terms of in terms of what her mum did to her, like I don't mean I, I mean I think Laurie is quite a sympathetic character, but I'm just like in terms wow. of Jill's point of view, like running off, joining a cult, me joining the cult, and then almost burning to death is a bit better than my dad didn't tell me things for a few months. Throwing away the Christmas present. Oh, I guess she didn't see her do that, but no. still. Speaking of Jill, she she gets a couple of little scenes all to herself. Uh, well, not quite, but you know. Ones that do not involve Nora or Kevin, which is a quite a rarity. Um, so I was just going to bundle this in here. But she's already noticed that Kevin is talking to himself, even though he hasn't shared that. I guess he thinks he's doing a better job of keeping on top of it than he is. Uh, she, tell, <laughs> she tells Michael this uh, in church. And while there, she brings up the subject. Oh, <laughs> he tells her off for swearing. And then she yells fuck as loud as she can. And it's just charming enough 
thanks to that performer. <laughs> uh, and then she's like, is this the same god that says we can fall around but we can't fuck? And it's like, Jill being thirsty as fuck with her very Christian boyfriend is not a beat I saw for her in season one. I mean, you have to imagine, she probably has had sex. I mean, we only yeah. saw her, like, choking a guy who's masturbating, but, like, you Yeah, with assume... the most nonchalant look on her face. Like, you don't... <laughs> You don't get desensitized to that so much, like if you've <laughs> not been um, around the bush. Yeah, there you go. I like that she like puts it on him of like you know, oh, this is because of God, and he turns it back around. And is like, I don't know if I love you yet, and it's like, oh damn, and then she storms off. But you can tell it's like I don't know, it's like not quite what she expected to hear. No, but I mean, I like Michael. Michael has principles. I I like Michael also. I don't like religious characters generally, uh, but M- Michael's a good kid. Like. There's not a massive amount going on with him, and, like, I've penalised Laurie for the justification that, like, while she's not being actively bad anymore, I still haven't seen a massive amount of behaviour from her that I would say would push her near the top of the likability. Whereas, I don't know, he just comes across as just a good kid. I don't know. Certainly maybe, helps he's maybe a cult. little loyal. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know, like, I, he's, he's a nice kid, but he seems too willing to forgive... In some which is obviously going oh, yeah. to come I into. Mean, that will, yeah. Everyone deserves <laughs> forgiveness, even him. I think he said that last episode. Or, I don't know. Uh, so you know, as we know it right now, Nora has left Kevin, <laughs> and I was like, I spent the whole episode like she's just going to come back and be like, "What are you talking about? I just went to the store or something." But we are left in suspense until we find out one way or the other. So Kevin heads to a locksmith to get the remainder of... Because, uh, you know, Jill eventually does get the bolt cutters for him. And, you know, he cuts the handcuff. But he's walking around with just, just the bracelet aspect. Uh, and he can't get it cut off because his behaviour. Michael witnesses him talking to Patty. So takes him out to see Virgil. Asserting that Kevin did this on the night of the earthquake, on the night of the apparent second departure, when he was sleepwalking, he remembers none of this. And Virgil tells him if he wants to get rid of Patty, he has to do it on her turf. Namely, he must temporarily die. So, <laughs> when uh, when Kevin walks into the locksmith, the the clerk is he's like learning a language with I don't know if it's his like grandson or nephew or just a kid that works there doesn't matter but they're they're using like flashcards or something and patty predicts what is on one of the cards that kevin ostensibly can't see and it's more of this like is this supernatural or is it just sort of unreliable narrator stuff with kevin and it's like he could have seen it while approaching the counter and just not really actively process what was on it. Or does he know the language? Or does he know the language? I didn't even consider that. Or does he know the language? But yeah, so there's more of this stuff. (laughs) He's like, shut the fuck up to Patty. And it seems like he's yelling at a a boy. Yeah, she stood behind the small child. Exactly, yeah. And I love how he plays this because he's initially like, no, you don't understand. But then he just sort of realises like how it looked to them. He's like... "Ah." You're right, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, and just leaves. And it's just like, oh, Kevin, no, oh, what's happening to you, man? And, you know, he tries to play the whole, I'm a cop, so could you cut this off thing? And they're like, oh, I'm going to need to see a badge. And, I mean, you get the feeling he left all of his cop stuff behind, except for handcuffs and guns. You know, he, Makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't have a badge with him, clearly, and he gets very short about it. And I mean, I'm fairly sure when you take a leave, you're not allowed to take your badge with you somewhere else. Cause... I would assume not. No. Like, there's no intent there to come back, really. No. So when he, you know, he goes outside frustrated, he's sitting in the car with Patty, and he's like, you know, what do you want? And her response 
is that, that <laughs> in Cairo, Egypt, there was this like magical chalice, the wishing cup from the tomb of Amenhotep uh, that's now in a museum. And he has to steal it, fill it with his cum, and drink every last drop. And then, because he hasn't grasped until this point that she's fucking with him, she's like, I don't fucking know. <laughs> I do think it's funny that it's taken him this long to actually ask. I mean, he spent as long as he could denying she was there, but this is the first time he's actually asked the question, what do you want from me? And she, you know, she's facetious about it. But then she she says the phrase, you know, she, like she's stuck with him too. Next thing she knew, she was saddled with him. And I, that raises questions to me about, you know, she could obviously be lying. Like, there's the question about whether she is even a uh, sentient entity or if it's all just his own imagination. But, you know, how far away from him can you go? Where are you when he can't see you? Like, these are the kind of ghost questions I would have. These are the ghost questions you probably won't get answers to. Yeah, probably not. Uh, no, no, it's, I, I love I love how they start off, because, like, she's like, oh, you need to go to Cairo, Egypt. And immediately, if you're watching the show with any level of, like, knowledge, you're immediately like, Cairo? Like, but that's in that's in the magazine, and that's yeah. where he that's where she killed herself. Like, mm-hmm. this is means something. <laughs> and, no. But what was in the National Geographic? Cairo, Egypt. So, yeah. That's all tenuous. This whole exchange with Virgil and, and everything, it confirms that this is what he was trying to do on the night that he woke up at the bottom of the drained lake with a concrete block around him. Patty adamantly saying he was trying to kill himself, he's a suicidal person, he doesn't really love Nora, he doesn't really love his family, he is a depressed person who wants to die, and that's what he was trying to do. But no, we don't know for sure, because we didn't see it, but based on what is said, Kevin, you know, went to see Virgil in his sleep, stormed off, got in the lake, tried to kill himself so he could get rid of Patty. So, there you have and it. Then, and then the the earthquake happened and all yeah. the water went away. Exactly. So, it's interesting. So, like, up until now, it has seemed like Patty is telling him the 100% earnest truth. This is the first time that he could kind of say, you're definitely lying. Now, he doesn't know because he doesn't remember, but it's interesting. Because he was adamant, I don't want to kill myself. And she was like, well, you're entitled to that opinion. And he was kind of forced to just kind of accept it based on the evidence around him. But now there's this. So it's like, while this may be true, it doesn't mean he isn't depressed and that he doesn't want to kill himself. But from his point of view, it must provide some kind of like nice ray of light following some heavy sort of pills that he had to swallow about his own sort of state of mind and depression and all that kind of stuff. It's also the first hint we get that Patty is trying to stay. Yes. Like, because the the thing she lies about is whether or not, like, the thing that's controlling her ability to stay there. And obviously, like, she says that I'm stuck with you, but she clearly doesn't want to pass on for whatever reason. No. We don't really know what that reason is. Well, if we take it as she is a ghost, yeah. 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 <laughs> but it's, yeah. Just, it's just interesting, because obviously she was so confident when she committed suicide in season one, that if this is yeah. the real Patty who is tied to Kevin as, like, the passenger or whatever they kind of imply that she is... She's not in you, Kevin. She's on you. <laughs> yeah, like, they they are trying to... He, she is trying to stay for yeah. some reason. So I, I think it's just interesting that... Well, the way Virgil phrases it, you know, you tried to do this, and then, uh, you know, I think even Patty phrased it as, like, an act of God or, like, divine intervention or whatever. You know, a, a freak thing happened that stopped Kevin from 
going through with this plan of temporarily killing himself so he could get rid of Fatty. And Virgil says, you know, then you have a powerful adversary, hence the name of this episode. He also confirms he too once had a powerful adversary, and it caused him to do terrible things, but he vanquished this adversary of his. And the way he phrases it, he's like, you know, in my head, in my heart, and in that, as you say, that cursed place below the waist. That cursed machinery below the... um... That's it. Now, if we start connecting some dots with John shot him, uh, Erica isn't a huge fan. Michael has said how, you know, oh, even what he did, you know, he deserves forgiveness. And he says how, you know, he can never make it right. And then that comment saying cursed machinery like that, one assumes some kind of child abuse. I don't know if we find this out for sure, but like you clarified for me. Essentially, he abused John when John was younger. And then I guess when John and Erica married in later life and he sort of remembered it happened or, or like met Virgil again. I don't know, but Having it would go a long way to explain why John is, you know, Matt asked him, like, you were angry before. Why do you hate this place? And I mean, Erica's family are from here. Her, her mother told her the story about, or is that her grandmother? I don't know, the Garden of Eden and like, yeah, like all yeah. the bird stuff and... and Virgil clearly believes that too, because he offers her a bird when she leaves. And we can infer from all of this that, like, John hates this place because he either he was abused there or, you know, he, I've taken it from you that Virgil abused John when he was younger. Yeah, I think it's that is the heavy implication there. So does this make John more sympathetic to you? Uh, my rule with all this stuff is you can have a sympathetic backstory but still not be a sympathetic person. Like, some very bad things may have happened to him, but he is still very hypocritical. You know, I can forgive him for being very angry all the time, you know, having repressed rage, all that kind of stuff, but he still burned a man's house down. He still, like, regularly beats people up, uh, and his... You know, like Erica said, you hit people because you've got to hit people. Like, it's all tied. I understand it, but I don't... I'm not willing to just say, ah, maybe you're not so bad or anything like that. Like, your tragic backstory only buys you so much, in my opinion, but... Yeah. I mean, he, he's he's kind of positioned as a villain for the season, uh, especially in kind of, like, his next scene coming up. Like, there's a spectre of... <laughs> yeah. There's a spectre kind of hanging over what happens there. But I do think that this goes a long way to kind of clarifying why he is the way he is yeah i appreciate it like whenever there's a character who is is shitty or evil or or gross or or whatever i do appreciate having like a monologue or a one line anything just some kind of right right this is why this not just he was just born an evil horrible shitty person like he maybe he was predisposed to being not the nicest guy but yeah i appreciate we do have a justification rather than just a mystery that is never solved kind of thing and you know it's a very you are having to do the work here they're not spelling this out you are having to piece together sort of throwaway lines from characters who are not even tertiary in their importance but you know it is there if you're paying attention so Kevin storms out, refusing to, uh, you know, temporarily refusing to kill himself. He receives a call from the visitor centre, and they tell him that Laurie is there. No, they tell him his wife's there, don't they? Yes, and he assumes it's Nora. Sorry, yes. I'm comfortable being assumed married to Nora. So there you go. She asks him about Tommy. If we recall, she called Nora and asked if Tommy was there, and Nora's like, I've never even met him. So she's certain he's there. But she leaves when Kevin says he's not and starts to, you know, flip out like he, his behavior is 
all over the place. So before he gets the call, uh, he does go out into the woods and like yell for Patty, and she slaps him. Like again, <laughs> is she physically affecting him? Is he just you know perceiving it on that level? Like, she asserts that Jill might be better off without him. This is now starting to sound less like a person who thinks he's shitty and far more like his internalized anxiety and like you know the the voices in his head and and you know his own internal worries and stuff she also says he's like you know why didn't you tell me and she's like a magical black man on the edge of town like that's borderline racist (laughs) and it's like it doesn't necessarily make it less racist because you've said it but i do appreciate that you've acknowledged that this is a slightly problematic character trait for virgil to have yeah like the show the show is it's one of those things where i enjoy a show that is aware of when it's problematic it doesn't shy away from what it doing could be interpreted like it, it kind of smooths the edges out yeah as you as you said to off off air like it makes it better because this isn't a t- what ten or white people with one black person who's the yeah. magical black person on the edge of town this is a show with yeah. at this point Half our regulars, kind of, almost. Yeah, like, we have four or five, like, actually well-rounded characters of colour, and obviously there's Lily as well. Like, this isn't a show which is race-baiting in any particular way. And I think, Damon, I mean, I don't remember Lost Inside and Out, but I... For me, Damon Lindelof has a decent track record with, you know, problematic topics, so I'm willing to uh, give him a pass there. Yeah, like, no, no matter what you say about Lost, that cast was massively diverse yeah. from the get-go, and probably still one of the most diverse casts on television, even if it did eventually end up being, like, the, the three main white characters running around. <laughs> Certainly for a show of its size as well. I mean, like, The, the Wire has more characters of colour but in terms of like proportional mix and people from around the world like it was the X-Men of TV shows Um, (laughs) so Cyclops is Jack Wolverine is Sawyer Jean Grey is Kate oh god anyway so uh, yeah we get Kevin and and Laurie face to face again and he opens with you're talking and I'm just immediately I'm like these two are really good when they actually get to talk to each other and what a kind of hidden weapon they had stashed with Amy Brenneman uh in season one not talking and she's been fucking great so far like I may not like the character but I love the performance and you know just as Justin Theroux has amazing chemistry with Carrie Coon and with Anne Dowd he has great chemistry with Amy Brenneman as well. And, yeah, yeah. And, the fact, and the fact this is only the second episode of the show, really, where they actually get to interact is kind of... Like, like interact whilst talking, I should say, yeah. is kind of staggering. Yeah. And, we, you know, during this conversation, we get the Where Is My Mind piano cover playing. You know, this is... We saw it, you know, the, the full version that is Kevin's theme for season two, I guess. It played during his... His little montage, and then in the in the Laurie and Tommy episode, the piano version played for her. So while they're talking, I will argue that another song is his theme song, but we will get to that one. Is the is it the theme song of Wow, your penis is huge? Sorry, <laughs> um, yeah, they're great. I've got to say because Kevin learns here that Jill and Tommy text regularly because he's like he's adamantly denying it. He's like, I haven't seen him in a year. Are you talking about Jill hasn't spoken to him and and Laurie is breaking this to him. I've got to say, fuck Tommy for disowning Kevin. I understand finding out he's not your biological father. Uh, I understand why he was acting the way he was in The Guardians at their best. Like he's trying to reach out to his biological father. There's issues there. But what the fuck did Kevin do? man like he fucking chose to raise you for two decades and at that point in the garbies at their best tommy affirmed like 
he calls him dad like he's like I'm your father and he's like yeah you are absolutely and yeah maybe that's you know because you can't say no you're not to his face but like what the shit happened between the Garvey's at their best and episode one of the show to make Tommy just completely fucking ghost Kevin like I understand he went through something traumatic like he witnessed two people die and like he left the family but like he still talks to Laurie he still talks to Jill but he he won't answer a phone to Kevin. He won't let Jill tell Kevin that he's okay. Like I, I both of my biological parents are in my life, so I you know I I'm coming from a position of you know I I don't I can't fully be in these shoes. But I from the outside looking in, so fuck Tommy for ghosting Kevin. Uh, I mean, my only thing here is like people don't act, like act in uh, rational ways all the time and. Yes, can kind of talk about how he's aware that Kevin's been his dad, but I think finding that out and then like the world ending and all these other little things and like Kevin wasn't good at the end of Galvis by the at the best because no. like he is he is he is cheating on his family and stuff like that and he watches them all go away and you have to wonder how much of that was him pushing them away before then. Yeah. And it does get to a point where like when you are lost having the knowledge that this person isn't biologically related to you could be that kind of wall that just stops you from like being able to interact there like because like jill is his sister yeah. laurie is um kevin isn't related to him and yes he's his dad but you have to you have to know that like that information is going to change the way that that relationship works and but my counterpoint would be that like despite how kevin behaved he was there and Laurie literally left. Now we can we can potentially infer that she left as a response to Tommy leaving, and that she was always there when he was there. But like for all his faults, Kevin, as far as I can see, has been a fucking rock solid stand up dude who has like you know been there when it counts. And I can understand a change in the dynamic, but just to completely like fucking not even let your sister tell your dad that you're okay, like. Come on, dude. I don't know. It's again, it's tricky. I've not been in the situation, but just this this all left me very cold. This this thing that like, you know, he's he's perfectly normal with those two, but he won't think it's I don't I, but at all. <laughs> we we don't see him being normal with Laurie at this point. Like he oh, has he left Laurie. He's abandoned. At one point. <laughs> yeah, but he's abandoned Laurie. She's yes. travelled halfway across the country. Yes. To try and find him. Yes. And we don't know where he is at this point. And assuming we're going to find out what he's been up to. Sure. But, like... Uh, I mean, Laurie you know, had... like, he went to her and he lived with her and he joined her on her mission. Like, he didn't give a fuck about the GR. That was her thing. And he did that yeah. for her. And then and he she... won't answer a, a text or a phone call from, from Kevin. Like... I mean, but then his mum did repeatedly send him into a cult, which kind of started to brainwash him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, uh, I, and... yeah fuck... <laughs> I I will be front of the queue of fuck anyone who's vaguely associated with the GR, but I don't know. Look, well, I'm sure there's more to speak about here, uh, I would hope. But Justin Theroux plays... When Laurie's walking away, or, or she's like, you know, how are you? He's like, I'm good, I'm great, I'm terrific. And like, you know, the, it's completely not believable. And then when she's walking away, he's like, you don't get to leave. Like, no, no, you don't get to... He just... 
He crushes it. They they both crush it. Like I love that lingering shot on Amy Brenneman as she just kind of walks away. Mm. And and I like her approaching him in the first place. Actually, like coming in to focus as he's at the fence. Like he hasn't seen her in so long, and then seeing her literally come into focus. It's like oh, very clever. All right, so Kevin goes to John to try and get his handcuff removed. However, when he gets to the fire station, he finds that they are taking handprints from everyone in town. Uh, he tries to leave immediately, smart, because they will 100% <laughs> verify that that's his handprint if he lets them. He is sort of noticed by John, and he, to not look weird, he has to give his handprint. Uh, and he still can't get the cuff off, because they don't have their bolt cutters. So he tracks Laurie down, and he tells her about Patty, and she tells him it's all in his head, and he's psychotic. Uh, so he is 100% fucked about this handprint. Like, they scanned it in, they sent it off. There is a moment coming where John is saying, hey, what were you doing with the car? And we've seen how John reacts to situations. He's going to start swinging at Kevin. So that is a million percent coming in the future. Like, uh. There's no way around it. That's, that's happening now. I will stop laughing now. Okay. As you said, a very tense scene with him just being like, you know, just letting some people get on the innocent list. And like the second he does it, he's like, another innocent man exonerated. Because, you know, he's kind of friends with Kevin. Like He appreciates his help. If only on the surface, I don't know. But yeah, it is definitely a sinister scene where you're like, oh God, he's going to get caught. And this guy, he knows, even though he hasn't even scanned him yet. Or does he? John and Kevin is set to boil, I think. I, I love that little bit of him going like, oh yeah, another innocent man exonerated. And oh, just Kevin <laughs> watching as that, that piece of paper gets faxed away. It's not even yeah. like they're sending them off. Exactly. Like just he can't them. even intercept it. That is with the fucking FBI or, or whoever. <laughs> You know, when he leaves the fire station, Patty is talking to him and she's she's saying, basically, when she killed herself, that was the freest she ever felt because it was all finally over. She's She keeps beating him with this idea that, hey, you're fucking depressed. You hate it. You want to die. And like, I've done it. It's great. You should do it. But then that doesn't really jive with the theory of she is tied to him. I don't know. I guess she's just fucking with it. <laughs> like... It depends what she is, if she is a ghost or his imagination. So when he gets home, Jill is there on the doorstep. They seem like they're about to have a nice little father-daughter moment. Like, you know, he taps her on the leg and sits next to her. And uh, she sort of holds her ground and she says, Are you pretending about the family? Which is a fair question, because we know. I don't know if she knows, but he expressed, or Laurie even connected these dots. He felt trapped by his family. Before the before October 14th. He felt suffocated by this unit. He didn't want to get the dog. The dog could very easily be seen as a metaphor for that baby that I don't know if he even knew about. And, you know, Patty's been levelling these assertions at him that he doesn't truly love Nora, that they're both just so fucked up and they've just grasped onto each other. So Jill asking, are you pretending, is actually a much fairer question than I think she even realises. Yeah, like... Uh... No, I don't exactly to that. <laughs> okay. Uh, she also says this is twice now. Like, I would take this as, you know, it's twice that a mother figure has left this family because of him and his behaviour, is how I read that, rather than, like, you fucked up with Nora twice. But it could yeah, be no, that this, well. this is definitely you fucked up with Laurie, you fucked up with, with Nora. Yeah. He goes to Laurie, and she gets to play therapist, and he, she points out some incredibly plausible things, you know, saying that, uh, you know, like, she was Patty's therapist, 
she told Kevin some of the things that were said, like Patty theorized that. She was like, oh, is that whole, you know, uh, Hippocratic Oath thing, like, true? Like, did she did she violate that and tell you? And, like, he's adamant that he doesn't know. But Laurie's like, well, maybe she fucking listened to me, you prick. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, he very well... Because he says, oh, she tells me things I couldn't know all the time. But Laurie challenges that. And, and she also points out that psychosis or, or, you know, like, hearing voices, like, that is... There are studies that show that's hereditary. Kevin Senior suffered from these exact conditions. And she says how on the 14th, everyone became susceptible to false belief because they were in such sort of shock and raw pain. And they're just looking for anyone who can, who claims they can turn it off. And as part of that, she reveals, you know, you asked me, because the last time we saw Tommy and Laurie, he was claiming he could do what, uh, what Holy Wayne could do. And you said, do you think this is real? And I, I said my gut was no. She kind of confirms it here that they were going to scam people as their solution to like what to present to their the people they freed from the GR. Because he said how we take something away and we can't offer anything back. And she confirms here that they were lying. And it seems that he left her because of the guilt of all this. This entire scene is awesome. I love seeing her get to put her profession to work and, like, you know, tell him you need to be on medication, you need to potentially go stay in a psychiatric facility. Like, heavy, heavy stuff. And, like, I like that she kind of outlogics the concept of Patty and, like, she's not showing up now because I could prove she's not here and stuff like that. It's, it's all great stuff. And it helps. Yeah. it helps with that balance of is this real, is this fake. Yeah, I, I love that, like... Patty's been missing for quite a while at this point in the episode. Yeah. And Laurie's just like, well, where is she? Ask her a question for me. And she just won't show up because this would be the one thing that would prove it. Yes or no. And is this Kevin protecting himself? Or is this Patty, like, not wanting to see Laurie for whatever reason? Because we don't know. He asks her to come back to the house with him. And, you know, she's like, oh, Jill won't want to see me. And he's like, well, I didn't either, but I'm getting over it. Like, you, you get the sense they're genuinely healing some stuff by actually being fucking honest with each other when there was a lot of lying and, and I, I, mostly from him. <laughs> um, and that dissolved the marriage. So even though, you know, we all ship Kevin and Nora uh, and, you know, these two were not potentially ever right for each other or whatever. It is nice to see them maybe heal a tiny bit, if it, even if it is, it may eventually go out the window. So he uses the fact that she hasn't changed her last name to get her a bracelet to get into Jordan. Like the rules here seem very fast and loose. Like they, can, <laughs> they can't get their dog in, but like he can just get her a bracelet like that. Yeah, but dogs have diseases. Of course, people don't because he believes. You know, he might have taken some of what she's saying to heart, but he is adamant she is real. She is fucking real. But he believes. If nothing else, she wards Patty off. So he invites her back to the house. And then while she's in the house, Nora finally returns his calls and asks him to leave her alone. And he says, if, you know, would you come home and would you believe me if I said that I could, I'd made Patty go away? She says, yes. So Kevin hurries off just as Jill comes home and finds Laurie in the house. A lot of character stuff here. But Laurie's trepidation about even heading into the house like, this home that her ex-husband or... Yeah, they are divorced, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. this house that he has with another woman. Like, there's baby stuff everywhere. When she lost that child, that could have been their, their, their next child. And it 
the baby they're using for Lily is clearly older than Lily is supposed to be. So in my head, I'm like, oh, and they'd be about this age. But no, <laughs> it's just a very large baby they're using. Yeah, I think that's all a really nice beat. And Kevin, like, apologizes about the puppy. And again, it's all just nice seeing them, like, fucking get this stuff out in the open in some ways. And it's, it's, it makes Laurie sympathetic, I will say. Yeah, like, Kevin gets to... He gets to have conversations with two of the most important women in his life. Yeah. And then runs out on the third. Yeah. I spent this entire scene assuming Nora was going to come home and find Laurie there, and it would be a whole, uh, what the fuck, buddy? But that never happens. <laughs> Instead, we get the phone call after, like, 30 minutes of being completely in the dark about... I mean, saying Mary and Lily are with me, don't call... That is somewhat definitive. But, you know, there was still this chance that it was, I don't know, don't call because we're going, I don't know. But we get the 100% confirmation that she has left him over this. And I love that she points out that there was a note. Because he says, you know, left me handcuffed to a bed with no key around. And she's like, I left a note. And then it's right there. And it's a sign that says key under pillow. And at the beginning of this episode, when we saw Kevin waking up, Patty was sitting in the chair, and either she's a real-ass ghost, or his sort of level of delusion is so great that he was able to block out this sign in his head that, uh, that was... And, that's that's the most insane part, is yeah. that he couldn't see a thing, or... yeah. So good. This will be affecting Nora's standings. We'll talk about it later. Honestly, I might be motoring through this just so that you can have your wish of talking about International Assassin, but big (laughs) fucking stuff here for the end of this episode. Kevin goes to Virgil, agrees to his method, drinking poison. Virgil has said he would administer him with a shot of epinephrine to revive him. Uh, Instead, Virgil shoots himself in the head after (laughs) squirting the epinephrine out on the floor. And the episode ends with Michael carrying Kevin's body away. Yeah, we see we see Michael earlier. Yes, like, yeah. When he... when Kevin arrives, Michael and Virgil are talking, and it's it's clearly confrontational. And when he leaves the trailer, he's all like, "You know, may God be with you." And it's very ominous. And what a ballsy fucking thing to end an episode on. <laughs> so speaking of this confrontational thing, like, was Michael trying to talk Virgil out of killing himself? Was he trying to talk him out of the entire thing, like killing Kevin as well, like? Does he know about the palm print? I get the impression if John knew, he wouldn't just tell Michael and then let Michael wander off. I think if Kev, if if John knew, he'd be the first one to come and fucking tear Kevin's head off. So I don't yeah. think it's that. I've assumed it's just, hey, maybe don't kill him and yourself. You have more to live for and stuff like that, blah, blah, blah. Or uh, the assumption that, I mean, uh, when we find out what Michael has to do with Kevin... You can see that there's probably some hesitation in terms of. Is so it's this a real? big thing to ask and to go out on a limb about, even for a person of faith. Because is Virgil religious? Like, he certainly. He seems to potentially believe in things that are not necessarily of a Christian doctrine. I don't, I don't know. But. Well, um, they pray together. But I, I get, you know, you get the feeling this isn't quite the same Christianity that Michael practices. <laughs> I love Virgil when he's explaining all this. And Kevin asks, you know, you've done this before, right? And he calls the man on the pillar, Edward, he calls him a success story. And I think that's amazing because this man lives at the top of a pillar (laughs) and sends letters down to people in Australia and stuff. So that would not fill me with confidence. But Kevin is in such a determined place to, like, get Nora back and get rid of Patty and potentially shut off these voices and all this stuff. When he goes to do it, Patty screams at him not to. 
And he points out that, like, you know, his father told him that he got the voices to start by finally listening to them and doing what they said. So this is somewhat strange to me. because I mean, she says at one point, I want you to do it. I absolutely want you to do it. So he does it. But as he's doing it, she goes, Kevin, stop. Like, she screams it. And it's like, what is your MO? Like, you know, as you said, she doesn't want to go. Like, she's lying about that. But then why... Like, she she just wants to fuck around with him? Like, make his life miserable? Be like, oh, no, go on, kill yourself. You get the the feeling that, like, he doesn't... He doesn't want to listen to them. And so when she says, oh, go go on, do it, she's expecting him to completely ignore her because, like, that would be what she wants. She's trying to reverse psychology. She's trying to reverse psychology him. And I think, like, because either she hasn't got to a place where he trusts the voices in his head or whatever, or he hasn't actually done what he needs to do. And getting rid of her at this point isn't what is needed. But, like, it's... One of those things, and there is more to discuss about <laughs> where Kevin's head is. Yes. Obviously. Where is his mind? Do you have one thing to say? What? We have the return of the National Geographic hints Ooh, in this episode. What have we got? Is it something in Virgil's trailer? It's two things in Virgil's trailer. Interesting. Go for it. So, you might remember the stuffed animal. I'm not actually sure what the animal is. Sure. Uh, there's like a stuffed animal on like a tree branch that Kevin sits next to and looks at. Uh, that is a, oh, okay. actually a recreation of a picture from the new, from the National Geographic magazine. And the second one, which is potentially more interesting, when Virgil shoots himself, there are three Japanese kanji uh, on the wall behind him. In the blood splatter, or in the blood splatter. Jesus um, Christ! This is Assassin's which, Creed level. Of... <laughs> <laughs> which refer to an island in Japan called Futa Gaminjia. One more time. I probably I, now. Uta, I have been told if you, if you want to pronounce Japanese, you do it with no emphasis whatsoever. You just say it as straight as you can. Okay. So try Futagami, again. Futagami-jima. Uh, I don't know. Futagami-jima. Do we know anything about this place? No, we don't. Okay. Well then. So that's how they end episode seven of this TV show. <laughs> the protagonist is dead, and his only <laughs> means of revival kills himself as well and it's like well you're fucked buddy (laughs) and like all i could think was it would be the most damon lindelof thing in the world to make this the series finale and make international assassin the season premiere like this this would be a bigger fuck you than the end of season one of lost for them looking down the hatch oh that's the oh that oh that still pisses me (laughs) and you told me that this aired around the time that john's well, this, Spoilers so, so for John, Game of Thrones. Jon Snow, Snow died in the season finale of Game of Thrones earlier on in the year, and Glenn on The Walking Dead, I think, died in a mid-season finale around this point as well, or died in quotation marks. So we had three major characters dying, but but Leftovers did the proper thing of not making you wait. Yeah, I can tell you this right now, in the entirety of this project of watching The Leftovers with you, I have not hit play next episode faster than I have. <laughs> like, it was late at night when I watched this one. I know. The, the exact same thing happened with me. I was like, I'm going to watch one tonight and one tomorrow <laughs> night. I started watching the first episode at half past nine. It got to half past ten. I had worked the next day. Yeah. And then I watched the final few moments of that. I was just like... I, I think it was like after 11 when I was like, I've got to go to sleep. I've got work in the morning. <laughs> like, yeah, I get I, up I, at 6.30, man. Like, yeah, I can't, <laughs> I can't not watch the next episode. Yeah. They killed the fucking main character. I need to see how this... Is followed up. <laughs> I did for a hot minute contemplate making you watch episode nine first. How were you possibly going to talk me into that? Oh no, they they really fucked up. Like they make you wait a week. And... <laughs> 
Well, it's just, it was more like the idea of the podcast is that you'd be sat here the entire time wanting to discussing episode nine, being like, Ben, can we can we finish this now so I can find out? <laughs> yeah, kind of, because I'm probably going to follow this recording with episode nine, so yeah. That will piss you off so much. Yeah, I know who it's about. Anyway, International Assassin, let's do what we came here for. November 22nd, 2015, this originally aired, written by Damon Lindelof and Nick Cuse. Now, I know a Carlton Cuse when paired with Damon Lindelof. This is Carlton Cuse's son, right? It is. He is actually the writing assistant and the kind of, like, Bible keeper of the entire show. That's a nice um, job for your son. You know, keep him busy, keep him out of trouble. Anyway, I, he's, I assume he's a grown-ass man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think, I'm, I'm pretty sure he's also on the Watchmen crew as well. Nice. Yeah, so that must be weird, writing an episode with your good friend's son. But, I mean, again, TV is collaborative. We all write all of them, as Dan Harmon said. Directed by Craig Zobel, who did Lens last time. So, there you go. Here we fucking go. (laughs) Because this is all just... I can't make it sound sillier than it is. A confused Kevin emerges from a hotel bathtub. Dresses from a wardrobe containing four choices of outfit. Receives a flower delivery from a man who promptly attempts to kill him. Kevin defends himself ostensibly by killing this man in self-defense. It doesn't seem that bothered by it. And then he heads out into the hotel to figure out what's going on. So, (laughs) that's already quite a lot, but let's get into this. So, something to put a pin in is that the TVs flicker on and off sometimes. There's like, inaudible shouting. That happens. The wardrobe is labelled Know First Who You Are and then Adorn Yourself Accordingly. His choices of outfit. A priest regalia, GR outfit, a suit, and a police uniform. Now, he puts on the suit and it becomes clear with the title of the episode and even more clear when Virgil straight up says to him, Isn't it obvious from the way you're dressed? You're an international assassin. Deadpan. This is far less Kevin... I don't think Kevin knew that's what that was when he put that on. No, like, he didn't. And that's, that's my favourite thing about this episode, <laughs> is that he completely like, just stumbles into this... What would his life like... have been like in the, for these 40 minutes if he'd chosen a different outfit? I took it far more as he didn't feel any of the others were him, so he just picked the normal clothes. Like, he's definitely yeah, exa- not yeah, a man exactly. of God, the, he's yeah, definitely the... not in the GR, and he's left his life as a cop behind, so... Unlucky, you're James Bond now. I mean, it, it makes sense because he is here to kill Patty and they're here to do battle. So therefore yeah. he is going to be an assassin. But it's also not who he is in real life. That's One little thing talking. that I do adore that we probably won't get to come back to is that throughout the episode you see people in all the other clothes that he was going to wear. Yeah, you see a priest for sure, the GR are here. There's one scene in the GR where they're escorting a police officer through in the Mapleton in the Mapleton shirt whilst Kevin goes off to have his interview yeah. with the GR. Oh, that, that is key. It is, it is a Mapleton PD outfit. It's not just yes. any cop outfit. Um, and then uh, it's weird because like, they, they make a big point of panning to a, a nurse. In a they nurse do. Outfit. I really didn't get that. I think, I think it's part of that thing where it's like there are other stories going on in this in this hotel like this this hotel welcome to karma hotel welcome to hotel california it's all it's all very strange and it's just one of those things where like i'm pretty sure they probably should have had like a nurse outfit to kind of like complete the whole thing yeah that's what i assumed i was like well i'm waiting for something to drop here Uh, a nice touch is when kevin returns to this room later and he opens that wardrobe there is just another suit the other three outfit options are gone which is a nice little touch like you are locked into your choice here when he tries to pay this flower delivery guy, 
goes into his wallet and all he has is euros because he's an international assassin. <laughs> Doesn't change his money at the airport. No, fuck that. I love that he's immediately a more competent fighter than he's been so far. Like It's a thing I keep pointing out that I like, that he's actually not all that physically capable when he tries to fight people. Like He falls over a bit. He doesn't... And all the fighting, really. No one's been, like, a badass. Except maybe Kevin Senior. But yeah, I like that to go with this motif, he seems like, you know, he can handle himself now and all that stuff. And you also get an awful lot of naked Kevin. <laughs> yeah, you do. Those tattoos, I believe, to be real. Justin Theroux. Life choices. That's two Damon Lindelof shows with protagonists with real-life bad tattoos that uh, everyone assumes I mean, are part of the show. Nev- they never mention them in the show in The Leftovers, though. Hmm respect he bandages his cut hand put a pin in that there's also as he's making his way down to the lobby fire alarms keep going off throughout this episode again put a pin in it put a pin in every goddamn frame of this episode i guess (sighs) so yeah he's directed to the concierge when he asks you know who sent these flowers up and tried to kill me the concierge is virgil who pretends out loud to not know who he is but writes a little message you know meet me in the garage in five minutes uh on his way there he encounters a young girl Face down in a swimming pool. He saves her. And then when he meets with Virgil, Virgil's like, you're an international assassin. You must kill Patty, who is a senator running for president. Uh, You must do it without hesitation when given the opportunity. Again, a million other things going on within that. Uh, There's a bird flying around the hotel. I was just about to say, there was a bird flying around the lobby. I took this to be evocative of Erica's buried birds. If we assume this hotel is Limbo or the Afterlife or, or something of that nature, I took it to be... Because this bird eventually gets killed. I took it like, you know, if it hadn't, then it would have been one of the birds that she dug up and was alive. But that's, that's what I took from it. Anyway. I think that's that's a very astute observation for, for what that is meant yeah. to symbolise. Yes. Because cause obviously, like, at that point, Virgil says, I, so, I hope no one gets that bird. Yeah, um, exactly. At that point. And because yeah. he's aware of like what happens to birds and stuff like that, and Indeed. yeah, so I kind of want to cut forwards and back, but you know, when when he meets with Virgil again, he's explicitly told don't drink the water. And I, the only thing I could really think of here, I mean, the most obvious thing is holy water, but that doesn't really fit. I just took it as like the old thing with like you know sailors out at sea giving in to the the temptation of drinking the water. They go mad, they lose their purpose, that kind of thing. Yeah, like, there, there is a Greek myth or something like that, isn't there? Like where if you drink oh, water, yeah. you you lose your memories um of course I, yeah that rings a bell now you say that but, uh, let me look that up yeah fire that up on the old google the lethe or the leth yeah if you drink from that in hades then you then you lose your memory and they're kind of like you forget that. what you were there for and okay that is a big thing here don't drink the water so massive spoilers this little girl is patty um <gasps> yeah i know was her jumping in the water her attempt to make kevin lose this game and drink water because he has to dive in there to get her out and you know that's how I took it that she was deliberately trying to get him to drink water because do you think do you think she's playing a game kind of because she because she goes along with him at the end and I know I know we're jumping after after a lot of obstacles have been thrown in his way and stuff and there is heavy implication that like she has some kind of sway here that is greater than she should you can take it the other way she's trying to kill herself because yeah, because she she doesn't want to be there anymore. Yeah. Like she she is very accepting of Kevin at the end, and it's kind of like more of a I don't want to be here, but I'm scared to leave here. 
kind of. Well, yeah, and especially we are presented with a man that is... I'll try and keep this spoiler. <laughs> I mean, I say this, I, we are doing these assuming everyone has watched at least these episodes. This I man... mean, if you're listening to this podcast and you've not seen this episode, <laughs> turn this podcast off and go watch this fucking episode. Sure. Because <laughs> well, I do not think there is maybe one episode of television, possibly two this decade, that's been better than this episode of television. Well, for the sake of like the continuity of like taking the story as we come to it, a man is ostensibly presented as her father, and he is very aggressive towards Kevin when he saves this little girl, and he shouts at the little girl when you find out who he is. That makes sense. So yeah, he, he goes to his meeting with Virgil, he says, you've got to stop thinking in such straight lines because she surely will not be. Like, she'll be thinking in spirals and zigzags and helixes. And I, I like that line. I thought that was good stuff. Because Kevin's trying to make it a straightforward dot-to-dot logical thing of, oh, I drank poison and now I'm here. It's like, yeah, don't be stupid about it. Like, the rules don't apply here. And he explains the plan of, like, you know, there's going to be a gun taped to a toilet tank. You know, you they'll search you. You go in, you get this, you do it. And I love that this is indeed the plan from The Godfather. <laughs> uh, because, you know, that's what Kevin has internalised as machismo and cool and assassiny. And he, he he raises the logical question of, hang on, what are you doing here? Like, if I killed myself and then I ended up here, what are you doing here? And he says, atoning. Now, you know, do we, I think he did mention that he would need, like, a spirit guide or whatever when he was explaining this whole concept to him. So it makes sense that he would temporarily kill himself as well. But who would wake him up? Maybe Michael. Yeah, but no, he blew his fucking brains out. And, you know, when we know what we know about Virgil and everything that's happened with him, his answer of atoning, it's like, I guess he's just... He considers this his last, like, good deed to try and make any kind of amends and, like, he's happy with whatever happens after this, like... Because, I mean, they make the whole thing with when he drinks the water later, and it's like, well, what else were you going to do? You blew your fucking brains out, bro. <laughs> yeah. So this is where we kind of get the, the first inkling that every single person that we see here that we know is someone who has died. Yes. Or is in some way incapacitated, because... Yes. So far, we've seen Virgil, and we've seen Patty, who are both categorically dead. Uh, well, Kevin. we haven't seen Patty. Well, we we know we've seen Patty, but yeah. Yeah, uh, we've seen Kevin, and... There's another one. Let's, let's there's do, a, let's there's do a, this. There's three more. Yeah, Kevin is ambushed by the GR and given a lie detector test by Gladys, another person who's dead. After he gives answers they're satisfied with, he returns to his room, and he sees his father on a TV screen who implores him to get her to the well. Now, he sees a person who's got balloons outside, and I don't know why he is drawn to go over to them. Maybe yeah, something to got, do with... He got the delivery, didn't he? So yeah, like, but, like, oh. balloons and flowers aren't quite the same thing, but still, yeah, I guess that's what they're going for. He says these balloons are for Mary Jameson, and it only struck me after watching the episode twice and then just going about my life, because Mary is sort of trapped between life and death in her condition. She is paraplegic or paralyzed, or we, I don't know precisely Mary's condition, but if we are taking this place to be either limbo or, I don't know, the entry level to the afterlife or the island from Lost, it makes sense that she would be here. And she is, in fact, how he gets distracted and knocked out by the GR because this person knocks on Mary's door and 
you don't really. I assume that is the actress that comes that out. Is, that is Janelle Maloney. But you can't um, really see her face from that distance. That, that <laughs> so. They are they are desperately desperately trying to get foot here into every episode they can, so they she are. can do little bits and pieces. Yeah. I love the balloon say it's a boy, so like we get like more pregnancy stuff. Okay, I didn't even notice that. Well done. <laughs> Good stuff. So this interrogation scene, it has a very. Well, they start with what's your name, and he's staying under the hilariously bad alias Kevin Harvey. <laughs> he gets sprayed with—is it Windex or something? Like, they... yeah, it's, it's something like it's not going to blind him, but it's definitely going to irritate his yeah. eyes. And he, they don't even hold his eyes open; they just spray it at his eyes, and I guess the dumbass opens them. I don't know, but yeah. And then it's like, why do you smoke? Because I'm addicted to nicotine. No, nope, you get sprayed. And then he says, "I smoke to remember that the world ended." Now, I don't think Kevin thinks that. I just think that he knows that's what the GR want to hear. And it gives it a decidedly 1984-ish vibe of, like, we're not looking for the right answer, we're looking for you to just agree with us and what we tell you is the truth. It's like, That's what it reminded me of. Like, a very different version with spraying someone in the face and whatnot, but... See, because I think that he, that is him telling the truth. But he smoked before this happened. He did, but why... Was that him saying, out? originally I smoked because of that, but now I smoke because of this? Yeah. If we say so. When he gets back to his room, he checks the card that he got with the flowers. It has a picture of a boy next to a well, and no message inside, uh, which I didn't pick up on first view. We get more of the... Between the beginning and now, we've had more of stuff with the TV flickering on and fire alarms... And we finally now... I heard Kevin Senior's voice before we got the visual confirmation that he's there. Uh, yeah, Kevin Senior is in... He says we're in the same room. <laughs> and like, if you look... No, no, they're, they're in a hotel room that looks identical to yeah, the one Yeah, exactly, yeah. He is there with some other guys. He's, like, half naked. He says he's, like, high off his ass on devil's tongue. They're, like, lighting fires. I guess it's some sort of ritual is essentially what we're saying. Yeah, he's he has gone to Australia. Yeah. Uh, and in Australia, he's met some... He's doing uh, cave ab- magic with Aboriginal yeah. people. Yeah, he's met he's met some native native Australians who have given him drugs, and they're sat in a they're hotboxing a hotel room essentially. Yeah. And the implication here is that he is setting off fire alarms in the afterlife through what he is doing as a ritual in the quote unquote real world, and I think that's a really nice touch. He says, you know, oh yeah, it's like they're talking over a radio with bad signal or something. Like it, it's really well done, and you know, he says, get her to the well. And, you know, oh, did you not get my message? So, you know, like, he sent the card, but I guess there was supposed to be something written, but the ritual isn't working quite well. Well, the the, the, the card says, get well soon. Yes. And he's like, oh, it's like, the card says, get her to the well. Yes. So the the card says the wrong message entirely. I love that this is the only only other time this season that Kevin Senior shows up. I love Kevin Senior! Yeah, sorry to disappoint you, but yeah, he shows up. He is wonderful. Hey, I'll, I'll take it. I know there's more coming. He also says you're not a fucking assassin, which is a nice little, like, you know, Kevin, you're a cop. Like, you can pretend to be whatever you want, but you are a protector of people. Well, I assume he means you're a cop rather than, Kevin, you're in the GR. And just to excite you, we will be returning to this okay. this conversation at some point in the future. If he tells him he's a fucking priest, I'm going to lose my mind. <laughs> You're a man of God, you're, you're, you're chosen by Jesus, you're a part of his army to fight the damned. Uh, the Kevins say I love you to each other, which I don't know if it's the first time in a long time, but it is played as if it is the first time in a long time they've said this to each other, and they're just, you know, given everything Kevin's been through, because you get this sense that, like, he makes himself be tough with his dad because he's like, I can't, 
I can't deal with your bullshit. Which I guess I chastise Nora for, but whatever. And this just I feels love, like love, an honest it's the little moment. Yeah, it's the little like revelations. Like There's a lot of honesty in this episode. Yeah. It's like the face Kevin makes when he says I love you to his dad is the same face he makes when he says that he smokes to remember. It's this kind of like internalized, like, oh, I... I do love him. Oh, I am doing this for this reason. Like, yeah. there's a surprise there almost. And he ultimately does choose his dad's method over what was presented to him by uh, the magical black man on the edge of town. Yes. So, Kevin is called down to meet with Senator Levin, and uh, after a few minutes of talking, he is able to retrieve this hidden gun from the bathroom, shooting everyone, including Patty, despite her claims that she is a double they found on Facebook. Again, not much said there, a fuckload happens. So, my favourite thing in the whole episode, when he's being frisked by security, <laughs> the guy says congratulations to him, and then just relentlessly saying Justin Theroux has a massive penis is a wonderful <laughs> running joke here. It's, oh god, because it's like, they wrote it in to embarrass him. Like, because literally, like, they saw all the photos that people were sending around of, like, him in the running gear and, like, people going, like, oh, look at, look at Justin through, look at Justin through. And they were just like, let's embarrass the shit out of him and put it in this episode that he's got a massive penis. And it is my favourite recurring joke in the entire series. And we have not seen the end of it. (laughs) (laughs) So when Gladys is prepping him to talk to Patty, uh, she says, the senator will only give you one shot, don't blink as in a photo photo opportunity, but, you know, we can very clearly connect the dots with what Virgil was saying, as in, don't hesitate, kill her when you get the chance, you'll only get only one chance at this, or whatever. You um, one shot, you got... Yeah, you will, don't miss your chance to blow. <laughs> when he first tries to go into the bathroom, who is it occupied by but Holy Wayne, who says, I feel like I was sitting on the toilet the last time I met you, and as we know, he died on the toilet talking to Kevin. I'm very glad to see Patterson Joseph back. I get the sense this is definitively the last time, but I'm glad he is here for more than just that quick cameo appearance in a YouTube video. Like, it's good stuff. And he drinks the water. Gladys offers Kevin water, and he offers Patty water, and both of them turn it down. But that, oh, That's a lovely little moment of her saying, like, I don't touch the stuff. I never touch the stuff. You know? as, as if, like, it's, it's whiskey or something. Yeah, nice to see Wayne there. In this, you know, what a charismatic actor who should have yeah. even more opportunities. I love, I love the little beat where like he stopped Kevin outside the bathroom, and you think he's going to say something, and he's just got this like weird faraway look, and then you realise he's listening yeah. to copy the... that. She's right, she's right here. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, he Kevin has this very intense conversation with Patty. Like you're on edge the whole time, like knowing that he's got to try and kill her, and like he is completely unarmed and at their mercy in the lion's den. And during this conversation, like she says, how uh, what, what do you, what do you think the gr me or do you think my platform is or yeah and he says you want to destroy families and she says our polls say our message is confusing which i took as a meta commentary on how <laughs> people respond to the gr in this show and a confirmation of like the core message here because she says she basically says that like october 14th erased like family bonds and human connections and it made it clear you can lose anyone at any time therefore basically you shouldn't connect with anyone you should become a strong individual and evolve past the need for family yeah i disagree but at least it's a like 
more coherent message than we've gotten so far. Uh, if it even is like meant to be one for one with the GR of the real world, as it were. Yeah, or is or is this what Kevin's interpretation is of what the GR are meant to? Because he's never had a proper explanation of what they are. Yeah, because I mean, she asked, you know, how did you first hear about them? Is like, oh, my wife ran away and joined. Yeah, it's and she says our cave collapsed. Which, <gasps> allusion to the premiere episode of season two with the cave it's collapsing. So, there's so much theming going on. You can dig through the rubble or you can evolve. Now, that woman didn't dig through the rubble. She went out there and died. With her baby. With her baby, like- which was taken in by someone else. And she said how this baby will have trouble, like, you know, trusting people and have all these things. But that's good. It's a strength. There you go. I've pieced it all together. And there's even a bird. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> I, hope, I hope Lily doesn't have trouble adjusting. Oh, I'm sure this demon antichrist won't. <laughs> As part of this, she she says how assassins and their victims share a belief, but they'd rather put. It's easier for them to put a bullet in them than accept their truth. And she says how John Wilkes Booth, like you know, he he loved black people, he hated slavery, like all this sort of stuff. My favorite bit of that is her turning to, to Wayne. <laughs> Wayne. He's like, I didn't know that. <laughs> Like, he's genuinely fascinated in this little factoid. Yeah, yeah. Kevin was told not to mention North Korea, abortion, gun control, or Neil. He mentions Neil, and she's like, don't worry about it. And then she's like, when will you shoot this motherfucker in the face for me? And, like, the fear, (laughs) and the the immediacy that Patterson Joseph marches on him with. He was going to do this. Great, great stuff. When he finally retrieves the gun, kills everyone, and Anne Dowd's performance when she... She's like, oh, I'm a double, they found me on Facebook, they gave me plastic surgery, and she changes her voice, and... You know, she looks different anyway, but one assumes this is just because, you know, she's a senator. Of course she doesn't look like a sort yeah, of burnout like... GR cult leader. <laughs> she looks like she's washed her hair for the first time in a while. Yes, but yeah, and she, yeah, she does a great job of selling that maybe this isn't the same person. Kevin doesn't buy it. He says, buy Patty and shoots her. But yeah, for a moment, you're, you're like, maybe. And like, you know, nothing happens afterwards. So believable. Good stuff from Andout. Give her all the awards. Not yes. all the awards. Someone will have to go to Carrie Coon and... and well, uh, Carrie Coon can go for lead. Uh, we can keep Andout in like guest actress. Well, then what does Regina King get? Oh well, she got she got best actor in a limited series, All actress right. in a limited series that year for for American Crime. So she's okay. she's okay. All right. Well, when nothing happens, Kevin goes to confront Virgil, who no longer remembers him because he's drunk water. So it's kind of all fucked. He tries to go back to his room, but he's locked out. Uh, so he is forced to talk to, as I said, ostensibly the father of the girl from earlier in the show, and he realizes mid conversation this man is Neil. And thus the little girl is Patty. I revealed that already. Shock horror. And he takes this little girl and and he asks Virgil for directions to the nearest well. Uh, So yeah, Virgil kills that bird in the lobby. I guess this shows, you know, there's no hope. No wish will be granted on this day or whatever. uh, If we follow the Jardin urban legends or whatever. He finds that the wound on his hand has vanished as he's going up in the elevator. Because I guess none of this is real, so... Why would he have a wound? But interesting to know. When he's talking to Neil, and he says, frankly, yeah, I'm an international assassin, he says, 
he basically says, you know, no wife, no kids, no responsibility. I can see why you picked it. So we're following this theme of, like, Kevin feels trapped by family, doesn't want to be in that situation. So, yes, subconsciously he picks the one of those four lifestyles, well, except the GR, uh, that would least give him a family. And, like, you know, whether this is true or just his, a voice in his head, we don't know. But, yeah, I, I like that little detail in there. I also like Neil being so frank about being dead and stuck in this hotel and how... Half the people no are wondering. Shit on him. <laughs> no, I can't find one woman to shit on him. So then, how half the people don't remember who they are? The other half are running around being fucking assassins. And it's like, yeah, great, great stuff. Yeah, because I mean, that's that's what you get. Like, there's the the people in the priest outfit, in the Mapleton police outfit, and the the doctor with the heart transplant in the in the thing. It's just like, oh, everyone is doing these weird, <laughs> oddly specific jobs. Yeah. yeah. Kevin kills Neil after finding out that. He is Neil. You know, we can take this as some sort of... For better or worse, he has shared a lot with Patty, whether that's just in his own head, so he would think ill of Neil, given everything Neil did. So I took it as like a, you know, vengeance on her behalf type thing. I do question where he goes if he's killed in the afterlife, but hey, there's that. I love that moment of him killing Neil. (laughs) It strangles him, then snaps his neck. Yeah. (laughs) But it's such like a, it's like this realization that is like, you are the cause of Patty, yeah, and true. and you you deserve to die for this. And well, you can one of them because when little girl Patty answers the door, she's wearing a sign that says, "I need to keep my mouth shut," and she says to him on the drive over, she says, "My father told me I talk too much, and he pushed me down the stairs." So, like, I guess it's a one-two punch of a horrible father and an abusive husband. But, yeah, like, do we take this to mean this is why the GR are silent? Like, did Patty legit found the GR? Like, I, I, she's the highest member that we've encountered. At the, You know, Meg may have ascended past her, I don't know. But, like, it's never clear if the GR were just in Mapleton and then it turned out they're everywhere. But, like, did Patty start it? Like, she was the most senior person as we we found it and like there is this recurring theme from her of like you know i need to shut up and i talk too much and i do this and i do that like was this her response like because we've always taken it as a shared collective behavior to like make you like more thoughtful but is it instead that it's just part of the trauma she's received from all of her abuse and she just made everyone else be quiet as well perhaps i mean again like it's it's something you can dig into so much of this show i just i cannot stop thinking about just that raw emotional moment you see of this just tiny child yeah. walk out of this room with that sign attached to her and yeah. it's just and he takes it off i like that and he's really yeah. really nice to this little girl <laughs> even though we know what he's gonna do yeah. and oh like, my god it's... when they're walking out and they're going to the well and she turns to virgin and goes he's gonna throw me in so fucking funny it's, <laughs> like, it's so Virgil funny but... like i hope you've got a swimsuit there it's just like no he's gonna throw her in man yeah it's <sighs> The, the dead panel. She, she is she is fantastic. I looked up her name the other day, but I cannot remember off the top of my head. Um, second, let me look this up. Is she going to be the next Abigail Breslin? Uh, I mean, well, she's she is in Big Little Lies as the one of the main girls in that. Uh, she is Darby Camp. Um, yeah, she is good just, child actor name. Yeah, she Darby is Camp. just wonderful because the thing is like you're acting against some really good actors in this show yeah. and she gets to carve out her a little bit and it's just 
wonderful and both patties in this episode are fantastic yeah. and the, uh, the, it's not for long but the bond between adult kevin and child patty is is magically played i think yeah this this man has chemistry with everyone it's <laughs> suspicious anyway so they arrive at the bridge into jordan kevin is ambushed by an australian man <laughs> who ties a noose around his neck and offers him the opportunity to uh, hang himself rather than go ahead with his plan to throw Patty in this well. Uh, but when Kevin endeavours to carry on, the man whispers something in his ear. Now, St. Peter at the gates, but Australian? I don't know. <laughs> we see a row of these nooses that are over the edge. Uh, do we see bodies? But I don't know. No, we, don't. We, ju- we just see the ropes. We don't well, know what a... everyone has Everyone's done what Kevin did. Exactly. And, like, Kevin's like, why would I? And he's like, because you don't want to kill a child. (laughs) Just said so, like, of course you should do this. And he says, I reckon she wants... Because he asks, you know, has she been resisting? And he's like, I reckon she wants you to do it. And he says, just like a woman, she believes she can improve you. So, like, is this, like, on some level, Patty wants Kevin to succeed and come out of all of this? on the other side as a changed better human like or has this man just got some internal issues (laughs) like yeah a very strange scene a very mysterious man who i want to know a lot more about i want to know what he said to kevin you are not allowed to google i won't won't. who the Um, actor is kevin says none of this is real he says friend this is more real than it's ever been so yeah i also completely missed out but on the way over like young Patty is reading to Kevin and she stops and is like, am I talking too much? And and like, he's like, no, no, keep going. And it's like, I like that he's like giving her this, you know, like he's trying to like discourage her from all the stuff and we'll see a lot more of it right now because carries Patty to the well and then uh, after a little tearful conversation, he pushes her in. Like so nonchalantly. Yes, so nonchalantly. And you know, he's like feeling sorry for her and like she's listing all the things that her father and Neil have said about it's, it's her. like I'm fat I talk too much yep. I I'm stupid I'm uh, it's just this like long keep, list of and just... he's like stop and like no you're not and like you know she's like would it help if I close my eyes it's like nope and like you know it's hard he, he feels sorry for her and like in this yeah. moment this she is you know presenting a horrible person as an innocent child is a you know it's a trope but like I think it's really effectively done here with, especially yeah. with her saying such like horrible adult things yeah, she's she's listing this like massive long list of like abusive language, and you just kind of go want to go like this is the ultimate like this is this is when you realise that Patty is ultimately kind of like in the same way that John is like they managed to make her have this sympathetic backstory even though we've seen her do these horrible awful things, yeah. and it helps that in season two she hasn't actually done anything horrible or bad. Well, cool season. Yeah. <laughs> Haunted a man and ruined his life a bit, but yeah. I mean, true, but like, she she didn't. She had fun with it, though. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, the nonchalance of him just pushing her mid-sentence, mid-musical cue or whatever is great. He literally feels sick after doing it, a, a good touch after Mysterious Australian told him it would change him forever. Even if it isn't real, it will change him. Adult Patty calls up from the well. Kevin falls in when attempting to climb down. They share this moment together. There is a bird call just before she calls up and again because the area looks vaguely like the area well, near the lake. Is, it is the area by the lake. Well there you go then. The, 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 maybe it's the exact spot where that woman died in this in the season premiere and you know there was that bird circling around her there and I, I was asking like is there any significance and maybe there isn't but it is still highly evocative. That's a bird of prey like I don't know that's what I took it as and it's also 
a potentially a reference to these buried birds like you know when he when he shot the the double that bird got killed in the lobby but then after he pushes child patty into the well which is what his father told him to do we hear a bird so it's like and it's kind of faint so it's like oh maybe this is the one that will work and yeah i don't know i might be clutching at straws there but that's what i took it as in the well we learned that patty was on jeopardy <laughs> Uh, I also guessed Ukraine, like the stupid defending champ to that question. What an idiot I am. Uh, so she was like trying to win enough money to like leave Neil, I guess, and, and go start a new life. And she got within an inch of it and, and fucked it, I guess. I love that in like Ando and Dowd's final moments on the show, they get her to say words like the Ukraine and Kazakhstan. Well, Kazakhstan. <laughs> and she's just such a wonderful delivery of those two words. Yeah. Like uh, and, and like it's a delightful little random non sequitur. Like this is brand new information that is got. It doesn't even seem believable, <laughs> but it's great. And she says how the defending champion like didn't say a word to her, and like she learned the power of silence through that interaction. And join all these dots and the trauma she suffered. And like there is, she certainly commanded a lot of power with the silent gr. So. I'm taking it. I'm taking it as a thing that stuck with her. So he drowns her. Again, sort of mid-sentence. He, he just drowns her in the bottom of the well. Uh, there is an earthquake. There is a cave-in. And then he emerges from the dirt back in his old clothes. Back in, you know, present-day, normal, real-world Jordan. And a stunned Michael uh, comes across him and says, Holy shit. Now, I don't know if Michael was just saying don't swear in church. I love the idea that he doesn't swear anywhere, but this is such a big fucking thing that he's like, holy shit, man. <laughs> yeah, I love I love the symmetry of this episode because it opens with Kevin naked emerging from the water in the bathtub and closes with Kevin emerging from the soil he's been yeah. buried in and stuff like that. It's and just yes, nice... we can also assume that Michael buried him and he has <clears> dug himself <throat> out of the dirt. So... Although it seems like it's been less than three days. Uh, yeah, it seems like the same night to me, but that could easily be proven wrong. I don't know. We'll see next time we're in Jordan. It does raise questions about how this happened, like if, if he was not given the epinephrine and stuff. But, I mean, the human body is a weird, wonderful thing. People do just recover from things that should kill them. So, so we're not so necessarily like... saying anything divine has happened here or that a miracle occurred, but... You know, it's a strong case. Like, he drank poison and died. Right. So do you think he drank poison, or do you think he drank some kind of a hallucinogen? I haven't even considered that, and you've ruined the show for me forever now. I I didn't consider that. I just took it as like, look, some people do get better from poison without an antidote. It's rare, but it does happen. Against all odds, he has done this. But yeah, it could very easily have just never been poisoned. Yeah, because, I mean, every single named person we saw in this episode is someone that we recognise, and someone that Kevin would recognise. Like, he knows Gladys, he met Holy Wayne, he knows Patty, he knows Mary Jemison, he knows where they all ended up. This isn't... Did no he meet character. Neil, though? Uh, he knows Neil's dead, though, because he mentions that he had the heart attack. Mm. And but would he know what he looks like? Is Probably that not. even what Neil looks like? <laughs> exactly. We didn't see him <laughs> in season one. So there's all these little things where, like, everyone who's here is someone that Kevin would know is dead. And As opposed just... to a fully... Well, I don't know, there are a lot of just random people, though. There are, but we we, we can we can come back to to whether or not we can come back to this. I just want to talk about um, the the song that's played throughout this episode. Go on then. Uh, the Nabucco Act Three chorus of the Hebrew slaves is it's not Max Richter. It's 
probably the most I just love it as a motif like it's just this wonderful upbeat song that kind of like just plays repeatedly throughout the episode and you get stuck in your head and mm. the amount of times I'm just kind of like scrolling through my Spotify and will just chuck this thing on in the background is innumerable because I adore this piece of music and it's so perfect in so many different places in this episode like yeah. I don't think I don't think I've seen like a piece of music used so often in one episode of television mm. and it like completely work every single time it's used. Yeah, like it, it fits with the the international assassin and the hotel thing. It, it fits as like a jarring, like everything isn't quite right. It, yeah, it works on all these different levels. It was yeah. a, a great choice. And the other thing I want to say is, no matter how dark this episode is, because ultimately it does end with a grown man pushing a small girl into a well and then drowning her, and then emerging from being buried alive. Yeah, it is so funny. Yeah, it is. It's farcical and they're having fun with it and like I can just imagine the actors of this show getting these scripts and be like is this the right thing <laughs> we're gonna be like, doing just, what <laughs> just imagine Justin through receiving this script after like that intense scene where he went suicide and then it's just like here you go here's your episode 9 script he's like what I don't even have to cry. No, you do have to cry, but I mean, you get to do some secret agent shit first. Okay. Yeah, it's just like, this, this sounds like the most fun writer's room because there's just so much. And stuff. what a response to like Kevin's very dark arc, you know? Like, why don't we represent this as a fun little hotel mystery, political, gangster, like conspiracy, and then like some weird cult horror thing with the, with the bridge and. You know, it's completely deserted, by the by. Like, darkness, fire, it seems like the whole town has been... Are there other cars on that bridge? There, I think that there's there's burning um, okay. trash cans. It seems, it seems very apocalyptic-y, and, you know, Jordan yeah. is deserted, or... I don't know, it's all very... They hit so many beats, they do a lot of stuff they haven't done, they bring back Patterson Joseph, like, and Dowd gets to do this whole senator shtick and then she gets to do the I'm just an actor thing and just great just great yeah it's this is one of my favorite episodes of television ever this is I remember watching this for the first time and just being like my mouth open and just laughing <laughs> at just how confident it is because yeah. like watching this week to week you just weren't expecting this yeah. like season two already up to this point has been a massive improvement over season one yeah. but then for them to do this it's NBC like, wouldn't have let them do this. <laughs> it's, this is a staggeringly confident episode yeah. of television. I like, still think, imagine if they <laughs> closed season two with Kevin dying and this was your season premiere after a year of wondering what the fuck was going to happen and then you're like, what the fuck is going on? None of this is real! <laughs> yeah, it's a wonderful piece of television. I like. I, I think there are episodes that come close to this, maybe, maybe exceed it, but this is... This is the first time I saw this show do this, this level of comp or portray this level of confidence, and it's the one that's going to stick with me. It's it's why, like when you talk about Community, Modern Warfare is normally the one that a lot of people will say is their favorite episode, even if there are episodes later on that are probably better because Modern Warfare is that first taste of and yeah, and yeah. On a complete tangent, every time I've shown someone who's never seen Community, Modern Warfare, thinking this is a really easy one to just get into, they don't love it, but. When you watch Community straight through and you get there, you're like, "Fuck, this is good." I don't know well, what it because, is. Because, like, when you show someone an episode of television and you show them the one that's off format, 
they don't know that it's off format. They're just yeah. watching it going like this. Oh, this is this is what the format is. But then when you watch it and you mm. realize you've sat through, like you couldn't show this to someone as their first episode of leftovers because they think, oh, the show's normally like this. Yeah, that's true. Watch, watching watching this episode after watching seventeen previous episodes, yeah. you kind of realize, oh no, this <laughs> this is the show doing something completely fucking insane. This is your reward for watching Matt get completely shit on and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's rank some characters. Again, based on likability, not based on acting performance or anything like that. Do well, we do we want to add Virgil to this list? Considering uh, like we had we had Kevin Senior for season one, but he wasn't technically a regular. All right, but I don't know where he's gonna be, so I'll know, just improvise him in there somewhere. And will, and will Kevin Senior be on this list? No. Ah, oh, no. fuck. No, he's that's like. That would be like putting Hiley Wayne back, because he's back here. Like, <laughs> he never should have been on there, but I put him on there because he was around a lot. Like Kevin Senior was kind of around in season one, and then I, I dropped people the week after their last appearance. So that's why Kevin Senior was on earlier this year. Look, okay. I'm probably not going to do Virgil, but somewhere in the middle, let's say. <laughs> well, I don't know. He's a, he was a pedophile. Speaking of deplorable humans, Meg at number 12, rapist, leader of the GR, hypocrite, selfish. I know that next episode is a Meg episode, so I'm... Can she go to minus, you know, like, even lower than the lowest spot? I don't know. We'll see what happens. Uh, John, number 11, despite, as you said, you know, there's some sympathy being derived here that, you know, he went through something unspeakable, burns people's houses down, assaults people, very much established as a hypocrite last week, a very violent man, Erica was going to leave him, and I now think more highly of Erica, so I trust that judgment. So, number 11. Number 10, Tommy. Um, potentially loves his rapist. <laughs> Sympathises with the GR a little bit. Went along with lying to people about this Holy Wayne thing, and like, you know ripping people off and, you know Wayne was probably doing that too maybe Wayne was delusional and genuinely believed it I don't know but yes Tommy knowingly lied to people and also really didn't sit well with me the whole thing with him just the, the way that all that stuff with Kevin that we talked about before uh, Laurie up at number 9 she was part of that plan with Tommy so that's a major bad point you know she potentially caused the death of that family but there is a lot more to like about her in this episode, in these episodes, well, I guess the one episode she's in. So I'd, I'd potentially even put her above Matt, who I had to the next step up. Uh, Matt, Matt continues to be what Matt is. Like for every like winning quality, there is something at best incredibly naive, at worst actually quite ugly about his character. Like you know, we've seen him snapping and doing this and that and the other. So despite generally being a very good person uh there is a lot to not like about matt under the surface and i guess that's the point of the character uh mary number seven true neutral can't go up or down like if she starts like doing full talking i'm willing to commit one way or the other with her <laughs> uh erica all the way up to number six redeemed greatly last week i don't remember how high i put her when we were actually talking about that episode probably lower than this somehow but yeah that conversation with nora was great I, i've thought about that a lot since watching and I'm, i like erica a lot more now even if she does silently or otherwise kind of go along with John's stuff like I don't know she she dropped some heavy truth bombs last time and I appreciate that about her uh Patty number five dropping below Kevin still a fun ghost but far more like outwardly antagonistic this time and like potentially even established as a demon or some sort of haunting specter like for realsies rather than like a fun fun ghost you know like an actual like malicious 
entity of some kind. I mean, obviously, tremendous performance here, and, and even with a child actress, uh, which is part of the character, but she was real bad, Kevin. <laughs> Kevin, at potentially an all-time high in terms of sympathy, like, with what all the shit he's going through and all of his behaviour, but, I mean, he does shove a girl in a well, but he is utterly convinced this isn't real, despite... He feels sick afterwards, but... He knows that this must be done and whatnot. And he's really nice to that girl before he kills her. Michael, number three, good Christian boy. Nothing really to not like about him other than that he is a Christian. I'm, I'm surprised that you haven't dropped the number two character even lower, to be honest. Yeah, it really doesn't sit well with me that Nora, number two, left Kevin for being mentally ill. Like, I know she went through the unspeakable horrors of the multiple departures and it's potentially all happening again and she's left with Mary because Matt has turned himself into a pariah and, and all this, but she responded to Kevin finally coming clean and confessing and, and going to her because she's the only one he can trust with it by just walking out on him. And Nora, that's not the wonderful sweet angel I declared you to be for months and months now. <sighs> yeah, maybe even number three for Nora. Maybe Michael's up to number two. Oh, Nora, you've fallen so far. Jill, number one. A bit petulant again here but not in a season one way in a like fun and understandable way this time so wow jill i don't know if she was ever right at the bottom of the list but i fucking hated jill and she's now managed (laughs) two straight weeks at number one so there you go that is matt waters's assessment of the likability of characters is it a consistent scale fuck no it's not kevin got all the way to the bottom of the list once for shooting dogs (laughs) like and that's all gone now so so i mean like i i love your interpretations of characters but now i feel like it's a good time to check in with your overall feelings on what's going on now we are now we're two episodes away from the end of the season well kevin is 100 percent going to be found out by john throughout that entire like afterlife thing you completely forget about that but when that dude emerges from the dirt there is going to be a a reckoning with John. Matt's whole ominous thing of, like, you and I will speak again, like, I have to feel that is going to pay off. It may be season three before it happens, I don't know, but I I figure the final episode will be some kind of, like, Kevin, Matt, John, Erica, fiasco. You know, Laurie is in play. We don't know where Tommy is. I know that we're going to see some Meg next time, but I, I saw the first, like, five seconds of it i know it starts flashback <laughs> so maybe i won't see what's happening with meg in the present but i don't know i i have to assume meg will show up in jordan maybe she won't but it just seems to be that you have to eventually push I mean, you all your have, pieces to one place you have just watched an episode of television where a man woke up in a in a in a bathtub but then ran around a hotel pretending he was an assassin yeah this, anything this can happen <laughs> literally yeah i mean this is peak crazy for leftovers so everything is now on the table uh, i'm expecting to hear more from an australian man but i mean i already know more than i should in that season three there are some episodes set in australia so i assume that's when he will return i would like to see everyone get their due patty is presumably gone now like yes exercise that demon gone. and dowd went off to make handmaid's tale i don't know i would like to see I, I hope that like the likes of Meg and Michael don't get brushed aside in the finale, but we'll see. It's weird, because, I mean, you know the next episode's a Meg episode. The finale, going into that finale episode, there's so much they had to do, and I'm not going to say whether or not they succeed or not, yeah. but there is there a lot. There are definitely of... a lot of cards on this table. and like, I mean, you could do a whole episode with Kevin, Kevin's reaction to coming through the other side of that. 
Like, I mean, I mean, you have to remember, we have to have some kind of conclusion to what's gone on with Evie. Yeah. It, that, like, that, that I is would still love going. for Evie to show the fuck back up or something. Like, that would be great. I don't think it's going to happen. But it's, you know. it's just weird that, like, this this whole season, like, that was the running through line. And then these last two episodes, like, that's just gone pretty yeah. much. Like, we've had the, the scene with, with John getting... um. Kevin's handprint, but uh, that that was the through line for like a lot of the yeah. early part of the season, and it's. I kind figured of they would squeeze so much out of that. Like, here's this ongoing mystery: were these girls like kidnapped? Did they depart? Is the departure a thing that can happen again? Like, yeah, and I, I have to assume we're all building to that big giant thing. You know, we saw Kevin Senior. I'm not saying Kevin Senior did this exact thing, but he went from a person that was. Hearing voices and not really able to cope and was at a point of being, like, locked up to... He got a lot more, like, upbeat and collected and stuff and I hope we see something from Kevin because, you know, Justin Theroux is playing all that sadness really well but I would like to see Kevin get a fucking win, you know, and, like, take charge of his life again. Fingers crossed. We will hopefully find all that out next time as we finish off Season two of The Leftovers, exciting stuff. Like, we went from I'm never going to watch this show, Ben, to I'm about to finish season two. And then season three is even shorter, so we're yeah, on we the high have, stretch. We only have five episodes left. <laughs> oh, man. How sad. Well, we will share a show we want. this now uh, with important news. Okay. Uh, Justin Theroux and Tessa Thompson will be voicing the leads in the Lady and the Tramp live action remake Disney are doing. What the fucking. I mean, cool, <laughs> but what? <laughs> They just can't enter the real world.com, Michael Mountain, SoundCloud. I'm, I am befuddled and bamboozled and perplexed and other words. Ben, you're going to have to say goodbye because I'm, oh, I'm furious right now. Goodbye. Goodbye.